if you did have any questions uh, about the Bible class, just raise your hand and ask. Hopefully I'll be able to answer it. Uh, if I can, I'll answer it the best way that I can. I'm, uh, I'm working with Stephen Russell, but that does not mean I am Stephen Russell. I'm not nearly as eloquent, but I'll try and uh, uh, answer the best way, as clear as I can. And uh, uh, kind of as we go through this story, um, I, I think it kind of mends well together with uh, what we talked about with uh, talking about sin and because really what what we find in this story of the golden calf from Exodus chapter 32 to 34 uh, it's a case study of God's mercy and, and I think uh, especially when you're talking about sin that's uh, a major point that comes up and kind of one that kept coming up in the the last lesson but if you, if you didn't have any questions from the get-go um, before we get into this if anybody had any questions about the the lesson uh, then you can do so at this time. But if not, we'll just get right into it. Uh, so in Exodus chapter 32, as I said, I, I think this is a, a great study, uh, especially when you're talking about um, the mercy of God and when you're, talking, uh, when you're talking about how mercy plays into our lives when we do sin, because we see it perfectly uh, in, in this story, uh, in this story, I think especially. So, um, what has happened thus far with Israel uh, when we get to this point at Mount Sinai? Where did they just get delivered from? I've seen all the plagues. Yep. Delivered out of yep. mighty hand. It's almost like you read my point there because that's exactly what I had. They, they have seen all the plagues. They have seen... Uh, uh, They've seen the, the, the Red Sea divided, <laughs> this vast body of water divided. And they, uh, we, in Exodus chapter 16, God provides them with food from heaven. He provides them the manna. Um, <clears throat> in the very next chapter, He provides them with water. And He's, uh, in, in all this time, He is delivering them from uh, foreign nations, from foreign armies. Uh, he, this relationship is, is completely... Uh, it, it is not a, it is not a relationship where God depends on us and we depend on Him. It is purely we depend on Him, and if He decides otherwise, then the, Israel is toast, um, because they're at a point in the wilderness where they should not have been able to survive. In in this uh, in this regard, they shouldn't have been able to been able. To, to keep going, to, to wander. And then, you know, after, after all this, when they wander for 40 years, that they should not have been able to, but yet they do. And obviously we know that's because of God. So uh, they've been completely uh, dependent on God's mercy, on His power, uh, and uh, on His promises. And so when we get to Exodus 32... Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai. Uh, so far, the way that they have talked to God, uh, d does anyone remember how, 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 what happens right before Moses goes up to the mount, how they see God? Uh, huh? Well, they fear him. They, they feared him. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't want him. was fearing his power and strength. Yeah, they, they, they said, you know, you talk to him. Don't. We can't hear. We can't bear to hear his voice again. It, we are afraid that he will, that we will perish. And again, this kind of goes back to even when Moses first talked to God, he kind of had the same the same reaction. So I, I don't think that's a wrong reaction. But 
so far, I think when we get to Exodus chapter 32, we've got a pretty good understanding. You know, I believe God, I trust Him, and I just you talk to Him because He's too holy for me. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why this just is a real punch to the gut because uh, in Exodus chapter 32, we come to the point where they uh, get worried because it says that Moses was delayed coming down from the mountain in verse 1. So the people got gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what, what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so they all did that, and they brought it to Aaron. <coughs> And he made, they fashioned uh, this golden calf. They fashioned this idol. Now, uh, what is this sin that they are partaking in? What is the first commandment in the, in the Ten Commandments? Sorry? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the reason I say this is, from while before, and I think uh, I think Mr. Mr. Bob Waldron says this um, uh, in, in his commentary on this. While the law is still being written, before the ink is even dried, so to speak, they break the first law, and, and, and I think that this, I think it speaks to uh, the just the evil that they are partaking in. They they break the first law before. The law is even written. Uh, the law, the law, the ink is even dried, so to speak, and that's something that's common to man. Uh, as we said from the beginning, this is—it's uh, just a repetitive cycle of rejection, a repetitive cycle of forgetting God, and just going on with uh, just giving into the circumstance. Uh, how does God, as we go through this, I'll, I'll go ahead and read. <coughs> From verses uh, 7 through 11, starting in verse 7, after, after they've uh, started, they, they, they give the offerings and they started, uh, it says at the end of verse 6, they rose up to play. Uh, in verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. And so, uh, before we go on, how does God look at this sin? Spiteful. How, how severe does he, how severe is this punishment? Uh, national annihilation. I mean, he's saying every single one of them. Uh, and again, I think this speaks to the evil that, that is idolatry. And, uh, and uh, we're going to keep just hitting on that point as, as we go throughout the lesson. But we start to read through uh, Moses intercedes for the people. In verse 11, Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent this harm to your people. 
uh, relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of, uh, of I, uh, that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm, which he, uh, which he said he would do to his people. Uh, I, th- I think, you know, from the very beginning of this story, because really, uh, chapter 32, I don't really think it's, it's alone. Th- this is a, uh, a separate story, kind of, but it really kind of goes through chapter 34, because that's where the problem is resolved. Uh, but in chapter, in this first chapter, in verse 14, it says, God relented from the very beginning. I mean, even before, even before he goes down to the people, he shows mercy. And it's because Moses intercedes for them, but I think that there's something to be, I think there's a lesson to be learned that he didn't even, he listened to Moses. He hadn't even seen repentance from the people yet, but he still showed mercy. And I think that this kind of, I think that this still kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, how every day we have mercy. Every day that we breathe, Dave Ramsey is a financial guru for lack of a better, more eloquent way of saying that. And one of the things he's famous for saying is, you know, I'm better than I deserve. When we think about that every day, what, what do we deserve? What do us sinful human beings deserve? Death. Death. I mean, we can complain as much as we want about how tough things have gotten. Uh, complain about how tough things are getting to to be a Christian, to live as a Christian. Really, what we need to do, and this is a part of being self-aware so that we don't get caught up in sin, what we need to remember is, what I deserve right now is hell. That is what I deserve. After all all of my life, the, the things that I've done, that's deserving of hell. And so every day that I wake up and God has not killed me in my sleep, that's mercy. Every single time that I sin and I keep walking and not struck down, that is mercy. Every single breath, and when I wake up in the morning, mercy every single day. And so, again, this kind of goes back to Second Peter 3.9. He gives us time. He gives us so much time. And it's amazing to think about because, I mean, after every single sin, he said, not yet. Still, I'm going to give them time so that way they, they, they might return to me. Did somebody raise their hand? Okay, I'm sorry. I thought I thought I saw somebody raise their hand, but uh, and b- before we move on in the text, why did Israel sin? What was their what was their mindset when they started to sin? Remember what it says at the beginning of the chapter. In uh, the first few verses, it, it says that. In the first verse, it says that when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, that they started to plot this. Uh, and so, what, what I'm, and now let me just say again, I'm not as eloquent as Stephen, so my questions are probably very vague. But uh, what I'm trying to get at is is this: uh, Israel gave in to sin, and, and that's obvious. But they gave in to sin uh, because of their circumstance. And this is something else we can take from this story. Uh, they, uh, they, 
I think that they try to use, and even Aaron, Aaron uses th- what they are plotting as an excuse. When Moses asks him about why uh, he, he did this, it says uh, later in the chapter, in verse 21, And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? In verse 22, So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And then he he says what he did. (laughs) And honestly, it's a a lame excuse, and I, I think we see right through it. But even him, he gets caught up in the circumstance. And I think uh, the lesson that we can take from, from this is, is that's relatable. Uh, this is common to our everyday lives. It's easy to, to give in. And really, what, what, we need to, what we really need to learn from this is that we don't ever sin because of a bad circumstance. Remember what Paul says in Philippians. What, I mean, what you always see, the football players paint on their faces, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, they, they don't completely understand the context because Paul is writing from a jail. <laughs> He's writing from prison. And what he said previously is, I know how to abound, and I know how to be brought low. And uh, so when it comes to circumstance, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. I got Christ And that is what strengthens me, but not my circumstance. We do not sin because of bad circumstances. We sin because of a bad heart. And we need to, we need to realize that we need to, that's why we need to strive to conform every day to what the Word of God says. So that way, when it does come to that bad circumstance, when we are brought low, we're like Paul. Christ is the one who strengthens me. I can can do all things through Him who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, So, I think that's another lesson that we can learn from 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 them. Drop the pointer. So uh, we go throughout the rest of the chapter in chapter thirty-two, and uh, what happens is is Moses calls out and he says uh, um, he calls out for those who are for the Lord. He says in verse twenty-six, "Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me." And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And it says that they, they work for God. They go and they, they go throughout the camp and they uh, smite those who uh, were guilty of the sin. They, they smite many who were guilty of the sin. And uh, at the end of the chapter, it says Moses is still pleading for God's forgiveness. He's still pleading for the people. It says in verse 31, Moses returned to the Lord and said, These people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit your punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with with the calf, which Aaron made. And then we get to, Gen- uh, to chapter 33. So already we kind of see the separation that we were talking about with sin. Sin causes separation. He says, I, and, he, and he says at the end of chapter 32, I can't be among them. I do think, just a little side point, I, I kind of like uh, Moses' answer. You, you know, he, he says, if you will not forgive them, 
blot me out of your book which you have written. And he, I think we kind of get into this more in chapter 33. You know, I don't, if, if you're not going to go with us, then what is the point? I, if you're not going to go with us, then, then I don't even want to go either. <laughs> if I'm going to be without you too, just, just, let it, just let me be with them. Just smite me with them. Uh, and we'll get to that more in chapter 33. So just a brief summary of chapter 33. Uh, they're commanded to leave Sinai. And again, they are, God reminds them, I'm, I can't go among you. And if I do, I'm going to consume you in the first few verses even. He says in in verse 2 of chapter 33, I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite, and the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Uh, For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I uh, I could come up into your midst in... uh, I'm sorry. You are stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. And now we get to the point where Moses and God talk. And this, from from here to uh, chapter 34, I think we just find beautiful language. And uh, especially in chapter 34, we, we get... M- uh, more of a description of who God is and, uh, you know, of, of his, how he's merciful and steadfast and long-suffering. And these are words that are used throughout the Old Testament, in the Psalms and throughout the rest of the Bible. But, uh, so we start in verse 7. Uh, it says that Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting and it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting which was outside the camp and so uh, I'm just going to skip a couple verses that and I just wanted to read that this is where God and, and Moses uh, meet and this is where Moses can talk to God and so then we skip down to verse 12 then Moses said to the Lord see you say to me bring up this people but you have not let me know whom you, whom you will send with me Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And, and he said, God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And I, I just have to stop there. <laughs> that, is that not amazing how quickly God... This, I think this is something we find throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, throughout the, all of the scriptures, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't take much for God to say, I will take that. Think about Ahab, a, a terrible, evil king. And, and, and he is given this prophecy of his death. He, he's given this prophecy of, of his downfall. And he mourns and he repents. And God says, uh, uh, I don't know, I can't, uh, Elijah, he says to Elijah, no one has repented like this, uh, ha- or have you seen his repentance? And and he, you know, gives Ahab a little bit more time. And I, I just, I say that to say this, I, it's amazing how often we see God just taking someone, someone's repentance and just almost running with it. I mean, so quickly, it seems like, and, and I know some time passes within chapter 32 through 33, but 
Moses speaks to God and he says, just, just please go with us. We need your presence. And in verse 14, it, it doesn't take much. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. There's no back and forth. He just says, okay, I will. Uh, and so he takes that. And uh, again, um, I think that this is just a constant reminder of God's mercy because it, he could have blotted them out. He could have so easily blotted them out, but he, just, but he would rather uh, forgive them. He would rather have them. Uh, any questions or comments, especially comments? It's just a good snapshot of who God's character is. I mean, you get these pictures of his character all through the Old Testament about his holiness and his justice and his righteousness and then his mercy and grace and how much he wants to forgive us. And, and I think, uh, and I think we constantly see that through these three chapters, and especially in chapter thirty-four, when he starts to describe himself. Uh, it's words that we find in Psalms and throughout the rest of the Bible uh, to describe God's character. And you, you, I'm glad you, I'm glad you made that comment because you said it the way I was trying to say it. God is essentially just waiting for us. Uh, and, and he's and he's wanting us. He, he wants to give mercy, and because he wants us uh, to take it, mercy is defined as uh, at least this is what Siri says. Mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. When we think about God's mercy uh, and man's mercy when we compare and contrast. Uh, so here we have perfect mercy. How how does man generally? show mercy how, how, how do we go about that usually seldom. sorry seldom. <laughs> essentially yeah oftentimes with strings attached or with, you know with, yeah begrudgingly is a good word sometimes you know not it's not something we're willing to do but it's something i'm going to do because i think that's what i'm supposed to do instead of yeah it it, it seems like it's it's either kind of a calloused, it's not really a considerate, there's no real considerate uh, empathizing feelings involved. Uh, and really, this is how Stephen defines man's mercy. He says it's cheap. It's cheap, it's cheap mercy. Because either we give mercy without any consideration or we can't, we're just not strong enough to give it. And and I think that's a really good description of how we, we show mercy. Usually, what it, what it usually looks like is if we do show mercy, it's because I don't really care that much about what just happened. What, we usually say it's no big deal. You know, whenever to, to resolve a conflict, to, to do so quickly, we say it's no big deal. It's whatever. I don't care. What God says here is it, it is a big deal. This absolutely is a big deal but I want to forgive you still. This absolutely is a problem. I, I, I can't act like this didn't happen, but I, I don't want, I want you to come, to, I want you to come back to me. And so we find mercy there. And so, I, and again, it's, it's such a good description of man's mercy to say that it is cheap because that, that is what it is. We, we, we don't have any consideration for what has occurred and we just say, okay, just to get it over with, okay, fine. And oftentimes, when we do that, 
it ends up much worse. You know, it ends up much worse than than at that present moment because then one party gets bitter uh, because it wasn't actually addressed. One party gets bitter. One the other party, uh, you know, might not learn anything, and it, it it's very it's a very dangerous thing. I think sometimes just to say it doesn't matter because like we said with God as God says it, it does matter there are some times when when somebody will will come to us and they will and they will confide in us saying I'm struggling with this with this area in my life and sometimes you can't always say it's no big deal sometimes it is and sometimes we need to say that that that's something that has to be dealt with but the forgiveness is still there and there's still encouragement that can be had. You had something. I was just gonna say. I mean, it's his his love is universal, so it's for everybody. Like our love is usually pretty selective, so that's that's how your mercy comes out. Selective, yeah. and then his um, understanding of the importance of uh, repentance for you know his purpose of salvation for each of us there again is related back to that love for it. And if you don't have that love. In that universal way, you don't, you know, you're basically going to make excuses for some and be in a hurry to have justice for others, right? You know, just really based, uh, if we could embrace uh, his love and wish for salvation for everybody, we'd be better at it, right? But the excuses are no good, which I think is what you're alluding to. You know, excusing it yeah. doesn't help. Yeah. It's, it's a form of mercy, right? But it's not a, it doesn't lead to repentance. You see, like, you see what I'm yeah. saying? Like, uh, the verse I've got pulled up here is Romans 2 4. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So, you know, he his purpose in all of this and all of this that you see is to get you to the point of repentance so you can save you, right? So that, that's where he wants you to be. And um, if we don't have those same purposes in mind for this one or that one, then our mercy's all kind of messed up. You know, it may look like mercy, but excuses, like you're pointing out, excuses aren't really, that's not the same thing he's got. Yeah. And and again, the, the people he's writing to in Romans, that they were people that, that weren't, uh, they had no consideration for for their own, uh, or at least little consideration for their own downfalls. That he had to remind them, you know, why they were baptized. He had to remind them uh, the Jews aren't the only ones that are that are uh, sinful. You, you had something. I was going to say, I think too. Also, when you, you mentioned the word encouragement, sometimes encouragement also, it, to me, is correction. In a sense, in the yeah. you know that you can't forgive a sin, or I mean, excuse me, you can't allow the sin to go on. But you know, the encouragement sometimes you need. We need to be able to correct in a loving heart. Yeah. That, I mean, that's encouragement too. I mean, I think that's been some of my greatest help is those who correct me through wrong I keep doing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the, and I think God has done it all through. You know, He said, "I will be with them if." You know, there's always that word "if" you know comes in there, and I see that as a, I see that as correction. Honestly, I, I think back, and, and I'm more grateful for. I, I feel closer to the person who said, who, who told me, explained what was going on to me, explained to myself what I had done. 
I'm more grateful to that person, and I feel closer to that person than the person who just says, you know, just let's forget about it. I mean, there's no, there's not a relationship that's built there, uh, and, and it kind of goes back. It, when that happens, it could lead to bitterness. It could lead to, to uh, a situation worse than where you're starting off with. Um, and it, what I was saying before, it, it uh, I don't want to make like an extreme, extreme statement. I, I think it's dangerous when to just uh, throw the phrase around, it's no big deal, or, or it, it, don't even worry about it. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, there, there are smaller problems that occur, and there are smaller thing, incidents that happen where it's just like, okay, I mean, that's, that's a small thing. It, we can overlook that. Uh, all I'm saying is when it comes to, especially when it comes to sin, that is a big deal. Uh, this is someone's soul on the line. This could be more than just one person's soul on the line. It is a big deal, and it and it needs to be addressed. And it, we, we can't just say, you know, forget about it. That's not that's not even an option, uh, because because again, we're talking about salvation. So, uh, going forward, uh, after verse fourteen, starting in verse fifteen of cha- of chapter thirty three, says, then he said to the, said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate. Uh, so, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And uh, before we go on, just again, it's Moses here is is more focused. I, I love this. He's more focused on God than than anything else. He's saying, if you won't go with us, then then what's the point? If you if you're not with us, then I don't want to go. I don't want to go any further. Uh, but that's a side point. Uh, continuing on in verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you've spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Moses said, please show me your glory. Verse 19. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will pro- proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Uh, so, again, I think there are some, some things we can take from that. Uh, you know, his face cannot be seen. Uh, I just, my mind goes back to Isaiah 6, when, when Isaiah sees the glory of the Lord and and we notice that that the wings of the seraphim, uh, or the cherubim, I, I can't remember which word it is now, but uh, they are covering him. They're covering different part, parts of God. And yet still, that is way too much for Isaiah, a sinful man, to, to behold. It's way too, he says, woe is me, because I'm a man of unclean lips and in the midst of a, a people of unclean lips. Uh, and so... <clears throat> Uh, when we look at this sin, when we look at idolatry, in Hosea, uh, if you're not familiar with the story, God tells Hosea to marry a woman, to marry a harlot, to marry a woman whose job it is to, to go and have relations with several people. And this is a woman who doesn't have really any uh, connection with Hosea as we see throughout the, as we see throughout the account of Hosea, she doesn't seem to care. She just keeps going back to harlotry, and God is consistently telling him, "Go and get her. 
bring her back. Don't depart from her. You bring her back and you love her. You keep her as your wife. And what we see is, is uh, in the language, God is talking about Israel as, as his betrothed. He's talking about Israel as, as his wife. And ultimately, we see that about the church. The church is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. And so, uh, when we look at idolatry, this is essentially, this is essentially God walking in on Israel, cheating on him. And God, from the, I mean, when he's giving them the law, this is what he gets. And yet we still see mercy. And so uh, this kind of goes back to, to what we were talking about with sin. It's, it's something that hurts God. And it's something that is, that you, you know, when we look at it, when we look at the physical consequences, when we, when we look at it on earth, on this side of eternity, we think that's, that's, not, that's not repairable. Uh, there's, there's no way to repair that. There's, there's, there's nothing that can be done. But that's not how God sees it. That's not what God that's not how God goes about it. He says, I want, it. I want you back. You've, you've done this terrible thing to me, yeah, but I still want you. And again, that goes, and so every single time we sin, it's, when we think about it like that, I mean, it, it really tugs at, tugs at your heartstrings. It shows us how uh, sin looks like to God even more as we study uh, about the idolatry that they were partaking in. Did, some, did somebody have their hand raised back in the back? Okay, I, I didn't think so. I just I want to make sure because I thought I might have seen something. Uh, but so uh, if you'll turn to Nehemiah very quickly, because we, yeah, we're we're over time. But uh, very quickly, Nehemiah. If I can get there, there we go. Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, so talking about, uh, using that example from Hosea, we think about, like, when we think about the, the person who is cheated on, we think that person de- deserves justice, and that per- the judgment needs to be made, it needs to be had, uh, but here we have God looking at us saying, I remember what you did. And again, this goes back to we can't just act like something didn't happen. It happened. And God says, I remember every moment. I know what you did. But I still want to stay with you. Uh, and I, it, I know this seems repetitive, but this is a repetitive story. The story of God and man. You know, we just constantly are on this cycle of, of consistently rejecting him. And yet God says, I'm going to give you some more time to think about it. Let us reason together. Come back and obey me. In Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, in verse 18, it says, Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, This is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, uh, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them the light and the way they should go. Uh, remember that he said, I'll send my angel before you. He said, I can't, be in, I can't be in your midst because I will consume you. But he still, he still never forsook them. I mean, he gave them away. Uh, and in verse 20, you also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. 
And again, this just speaks, as, as he says in verse 19, speaks to the manifold mercies of God. Even after all the things that they did, he still did not forsake them. And so uh, we can't really get uh, much further in, but I do want to just look at one verse in, in Exodus chapter 34 before we uh, conclude. In Exodus chapter 34, so we read through the end of 33, uh, Moses makes new tablets to, to, to rewrite um, the law, to have the law rewritten. Um, and so the, he, he's doing the same thing that he was doing before he came down and smashed the covenant. And I did skip over this. One thing I think that is kind of uh, interesting is when he saw what, the, is, what Israel had done when he came down from the mountain, he smashed the he threw it at the foot of the mountain, and they split. They, they were broken. And I think that kind of, they had broken the covenant. They had broken this covenant between, between them and God. And so, uh, besides the point, it's just a side point. <clears throat> in verse uh, 5, it says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us as your inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done on the earth. Nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are, whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And we'll just stop there because we, really uh, we can't really get too much into it. But one thing I do want to go through. Uh, th- th- when you read through this, it kind of seems... Weird in verse seven, he says, "Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty." And so sometimes, I, sometimes, I, and I've, I've met people that uh, have come across verse a verse like this, and they're like, "Well, that doesn't seem to jive." Yeah, it absolutely does. There's there's still balance. I mean, God is absolutely merciful, as we said. Every day we live, that's mercy. But in the end, He will by no means clear the guilty. It, if we reject His mercy, come judgment day, there will be no more to give. That will be the final straw. In, his, in the fullness of times, He will come. In, in His time, He will come. And so, uh, I, I just I wanted to say that there, there, there is always a balance when it comes to God's Word. There's always a balance when it comes to God. Uh, that's one of the things that I've learned from Stephen. Uh, and so, when you read through a verse like this, it might seem... Uh, like it's going, it's going against itself, but it's absolutely not. He absolutely is mercy, and we see that in this story. But he will have ju- ju- he will bring judgment, and he will have justice in the end. And so it just depends on whether we want to be on the right side of it or not. Uh, so, but before before we close with a word of prayer, is there any questions or comments? How God chose to describe Himself, you know, instead of you know the God who punishes the evil and destroys the wicked and brings justice. You know, he's, he's, He talks about His long suffering and His mercy. 
again, like you said, he says that the guilty will be punished, but it, the tone of that when you read that is his willingness to forgive. Yeah. That was his chance to really, you know, an opportunity to get his point across, you know, if he wanted to, but that's, he's showing who he is. Yeah, and, and it just, it goes, justice will be had. And so it just depends, who, do you want to choose uh, justice against you, the justice that you deserve, the judgment that you deserve, or do you want to choose the justice that, that we get through Christ?